Welcome to Beyond the Show, the podcast home of all things Cannabis Conference. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of the Cannabis Group at GIE Media. With less than two weeks to go before showtime in Las Vegas, I wanted to take a moment and direct you to the August issue of Cannabis Business Times. You can either expect your copy in the mail ASAP, or you can pick up a copy at Cannabis Conference. On the cover this month, the story of how Jason Neely and Brenda Vergese pivoted to cannabis after decades of disenchantment in the pharmaceutical industry. At their company, Stratos, they have harnessed their formulation experience to put health and consistency at the forefront of the business. I realized I wanted to be in a career or on a career path that really helped people, Brenda said. Make sure you check that out. The full issue is available at CannabisBusinessTimes.com, of course. And inside, we're pleased to present the 2022 Cannabis Leadership Award winners. We will be honoring those five leaders at a ceremony at Cannabis Conference, something we started in 2021, and we're excited to be continuing each year henceforth at the show. There's lots of great stories in that supplement, and it's always nice to dial up the contrast on what makes a good leader, which can be specific to this industry in some ways, but can also be more deeply rooted than that. Speaking of, on the show this week, we've got Mark Hauser, the president of Hauser Advisory. Prior to starting Hauser Advisory, Mark worked as an attorney for nearly 25 years, advising clients and colleagues on billions of dollars of business transactions worldwide. He has dedicated his practice to the cannabis industry since 2018 and was named by peer-ranked Chambers USA and Legal 500 as a leading lawyer who knows the industry and players through and through. While a partner at Reed Smith LLP, one of the world's largest law firms, Mark represented public and private single-state and multi-state operators, market-leading ancillary businesses, private equity, venture capital, hedge and credit funds, banks and non-bank lenders, investment banks, and other financial services providers, and real estate investment trusts. At Cannabis Conference 2022, Mark will be speaking on the panel, Federal Cannabis Legalization in the United States. What will it mean? And we talked about that and much more. So please enjoy my conversation with Mark Hauser. Hello, Mark, and welcome to the show this week. Very glad to have a chance to talk with you about federal legalization and the uh, all the conjecture that surrounds that kind of loaded phrase and, and some other topics as well uh, ahead of Cannabis Conference in really just a, a few weeks here. Um, you know, I'm catching you at an interesting time in, in your career and uh, in a, a bit of downtime, although maybe that's a relative term, as uh, you are soon to be the president of Hauser Advisory Services. And uh, this seems like a very uh, timely thing to talk about here. So I kind of wanted to kick off the interview with that before talking about the federal stuff. Uh, could you sort of lay out uh, what Hauser Advisory Services is and what some of your goals were in in making this move and maybe elaborate on on that? Thanks. No, I'm excited to uh, to chat with you and looking forward to the conference. Um, and I have been on the Hauser Advisor. I've been a lawyer. I was a lawyer for 24 years, focused on corporate and securities and capital markets and spending my last, I don't know, about four years focused almost exclusively on the cannabis industry. I came to realize after a long time that uh, the kind of work that I wanted to focus on, uh, you really couldn't do well enough in in, in being a lawyer uh, and be more focused on sort of the business and practical aspects of operating and in and with this industry. Uh, so I've, I, I've quit law 
And I've started up an advisory business, uh, which will just be me, uh, to provide advice and strategy on sort of business life cycle events for cannabis companies, whether that's M&A or capital markets, uh, workout and distress, joint ventures and sort of major projects and, and as well as capital raises. Uh, I'm not going to raise money for people, but I can help advise them on it. And then also with uh, groups that are looking to do business with the industry, whether that's investors, lenders, ancillary businesses, all trying to sort of understand and um, navigate uh, this unique industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, very exciting news. Um, it's, that- good to, it's good to not be a lawyer anymore. <laughs> I, uh, I can definitely believe that. <laughs> Um, but that's sort of the practical application side of what you were just saying there, uh, of course, reminds me or, or calls to mind your Cannabis Musings series, which uh, listeners may be familiar with. And if they're not, they can certainly uh, you know, begin reading uh, in the near future here uh, that has been distributed via email from you and, and on social media. Um, could you, A, just explain what Cannabis Musings has been and then B, I guess, how you've gone about generating ideas for these these pieces over the years? Thanks. Yeah, no, I've been writing uh, a newsletter to the, about the industry for uh, over three years now uh, with where what I do is I, something happens in the space and there's never there's there's never um, a need for finding something interesting in yeah. cannabis. Uh, and whether it's something legal related or business or just odd, and I'll give my my sort of take on it and whether it's I, uh, you know, critical or deep dive into trying to understand what happened uh, to just sort of predicting what some what something means, whether it's regulatory, whether it's uh, a major transaction, whether it's somebody getting in trouble, whether it's um, somebody raising money uh, and get and sort of frame it with a bit of a legal bent, but more just sort of a a. A, a, a take, I guess you will, if you will, on, um, on what it means for the industry and what it means for people doing business in and with the industry. Uh, so I've been distributing that to my mailing list and through social media for, like I said, about over three years now. I try to do it on a weekly basis. Uh, it's a bit on hiatus as I transition from the law firm to, uh, to uh, civilian life. But I will, but it should be starting up soon again. Um, and if you go to my website, houseradvisory.com, H-A-U-S-E-R advisory.com, uh, which should be live hopefully within the next week or so, uh, we can, you can sign up and join join the fun. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll make sure to add that note to uh, to this podcast episode for listeners who are tuning in. Um but here we are in August 2022, um, you know, almost two years into the Biden administration. We've got several substantial, substantial looking bills introduced in Washington, D.C., including the you know, sort of vaunted CAOA. So I'm curious, as we're talking here, um, I, well, I, I guess I wanted to frame it as, as a very basic question at first. Are you optimistic about, um, you know, any uh, cannabis legislation coming out of of Congress in the near future, we can get into the different types. Of course, there's there's banking reform and there's 
different interpretations of what legalization might mean. But um, how are you feeling when you uh, turn your gaze toward D.C. right now? Um, I've always been uh, very pessimistic about the federal government's doing anything to to make life easier for this industry. Um, I think I, I'm a born cynic, which is, I think, what made me a good lawyer. <laughs> and I, you know, I just don't think that there's much political will or capital to do anything about cannabis. Um, you know, the, the, the federal government has allowed this industry to, to thrive, if you will, uh, to exist really more so uh, and, and grow solely is a matter of grace and it's it's sort of half works um but it's but it's better it's better than the feds coming in and shutting everything down and i think that the i think that congress is perfectly fine with that um you've we've seen how it's you know on on the republican side this is not this is not meant to be a political discussion necessarily or sorry a partisan discussion or comment, but you know the Republicans have used uh, any sort of legislation. You know the six iterations of or votes on the Safe Act so far that the Democrats have tried. Uh, they've used it as a political cudgel, um, and the Democrats have have you know have have really uh, on their end uh, used it as as an internal sort of political tool on their side, and so it really hasn't gone anywhere um the the de- you need ultimately need 10 republicans to pass this and i i've yet to see somebody actually sort of name the 10 republicans who are going to pass the safe act whether in its current form or any sort of other form and certainly it's been very clear that there's no real senate republican support for anything beyond uh anything even broader than that at this point uh you know i think it's still inevitable uh well inevitable stronger i think it still happens at some point but it's definitely not under this senate certainly um yeah it's uh well trying times uh to say the least in in dc right now I'm curious, and again, so much of this kind of conversation, including this one and, and at the show and, and this kind of topic, there's so much conjecture and, and what ifs, and uh, it's a little tough, but, but there, you know, with an audience of, of business owners and prospective business owners, um, many of whom are plant touching and, and hold licenses issued by their state and or local municipality, um, is there anything meaningful that, that those businesses and, and executive teams might be doing now? to sort of, uh, you know, hit the ground running and, and kind of be where they want to be if and when some form of legalization happens. And I guess the only asterisk on that kind of broad, vague question is, um, you know, we do have at least a handful of, of recurring themes in some of these bills that have been introduced, whether that's, you know, taxation or uh, the repeal of, or not repeal, but uh, the, the removal of 280E over, as an aspect of the industry, Anything that business owners might be doing right now to kind of prepare for the many possibilities of legalization? Yeah, no, I I think that you're correct. You know, the safe the safe act itself doesn't only does sort of very limited things, and really, that it, it probably in my mind the biggest beneficiary of the safe act would be ancillary businesses. 
Um, but but if you're talking about a broader uh, some sort of legalization, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. The, the various bills that have been proposed and talk, as well as you know, white papers that have been put out by industry groups, all sort of come around a framework that that looks a little bit like alcohol, where you have loose regulation at the federal level um, that that really centers around taxation and making sure that nothing that nobody's making really stupid health claims. Um, and then, but kicking most of it to the states, where states have a choice to legalize or not, and are the primary drivers of regulation licensing. Um, and to, which to me makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, the biggest changes, I mean, certainly to the benefit will be the, the removal of 280E. You know, there will be some sort of federal taxation because it's the federal government. Uh, but, you know, but, but hope, hopefully that eases some of that burden. But to me, the biggest change that, that people still aren't really talking about is interstate commerce as well as uh, global trade. Uh, and, you know, there's more talk about interstate commerce now than there was when I was yelling about it three years ago, but I think it's still mostly ignored. Um, but interstate commerce, in my opinion, is, is inevitable. Uh, and that the current, as you know, for, for everybody's background, each state, I mean, probably most people realize, know this, but each state limits the ability or prohibits people from transporting cannabis across state lines. That's not, a, that's not driven by federal policy. It's just driven by, by state law. And that is, uh, in my mind, those laws are all uh, unconstitutional. And this is not legal advice. Uh, I am still technically a lawyer, but it is. Uh, but there's a provision. There's there's the commerce clause in the in the Constitution um, that's been interpreted by the Supreme Court to not allow uh, undue burdens on interstate commerce by states. And in my mind, all of these prohibitions are undue burdens. And there's, there's not really any good arguments to sustain them. And you could have all of those. Somebody could challenge all of that today uh, and, and try to break down uh, all of these all these sort of limitations on interstate commerce today, it doesn't require federal legalization. I just think that if you see federal legalization, it gets a lot easier, especially if Congress, you know, allows it uh, or, you know, or affirmatively states it. I think that, um, you know, and then, then I think cultivation really, uh, the, the entire cultivation market just changes completely. Uh, because you you will, uh, in my mind, you will see production move to the uh, sort of the, the bulk of production will move to the states where it's cheapest. Uh, and we'll see even more so, I think what will surprise this industry is we'll see the production move to South America, similar to the cut flower trade. I've written about this before. Um, in my musings and where, you know, cut flowers all moved to South America and other than, you know, some very limited production here, 
uh, it's all grown down there and shipped up. And I don't see why, you know, and, and the CAOA allows for that. So I, I don't, you know, nobody's really explained to me otherwise why that wouldn't happen with cannabis. Uh, I think, you know, I still think that you, that states will require sales through dispensaries. So I don't think that, I don't think the, the retail side of things changes. Um, I think you'll see a lot. I think you'll see much more efficient distribution. Um, maybe not necessarily the three tier system we have in alcohol, but I think it'll become a lot more consolidated and efficient uh, with, you know, with alcohol distribution companies stepping in because they know how to do it. But, um, but certainly I think the whole distribution market, sorry, the whole production market uh, just gets up. Yeah. I mean, the economic implications are are pretty, pretty incredible to, to think about. And, you know, I feel like this conversation also feels to me like a, a ticking clock too. Um, if only because markets where cannabis is being grown at, at, the, at the cheapest cost, a lot of those smaller and even larger uh, cultivation businesses are, are having a really tough time making it through this year and, and, and certainly in 2021. Um, I'm curious, I mean, does that does the does that prospect of interstate sales seem like a shot in the arm for cannabis businesses or more like what you were just saying a, a complete upheaval of of what we know as as the cannabis market well i think it's i think it's going to be you know to use probably the wrong term i think it's going to be incredibly disruptive to a lot of companies um i think that uh, there's you know, it's hard. I think that there's going to be those that get decimated by it. And I think that there are going to be those who, who flourish from it. Um, you know, so, so I think the answer to your question is both. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, it's, it's hard. It's honestly a little hard to predict who's going to win. Um, but I've always felt that this industry will, f, you know, sometime after legalization will eventually look like the beer industry, which has a lot of, um, there's a lot of concentration at the uh, in terms of um, production and market share at the top among a handful of companies that um, that that have uh, a large chunk of the national distribution of a handful of products uh, that don't have a lot of specific typicity to use a wine term. Um, but are, you know, but are heavily branded and, and sell very well. And I think in my mind, you'll see a lot of that similarity, whether it's, you know, and it may not necessarily be through flour, but through vape products and concentrates and, um, and beverages and, and as well as edibles where, you know, the, what's it's the consumer is not really concerned so much about the specific uh, strain, so long as there is a, you know they're more worried, they're more concerned about you know just sort of a very specific effect and the con- and the um and the uh the concentration of THC uh and so you know where where the quality of the 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 the, the consumer is not so concerned about um you know whether it's a specific organic strain that's grown outdoors or flower I should say that's grown outdoors in you know Humboldt County California. Uh, all they care about is that it's it does X, you know, similar to, I don't know, some of the, you know, of uh, the mass produced light beers, you know, where they're all fairly similar. 
Um, and, and the key is too, is that all those come at a low cost. And then you have at the, you know, at the bottom of the, uh, the hourglass, you see, you have a lot of, um, of art artisanal, uh, local and regional cannabis companies that are, um, catering to the, uh, to the cannabis enthusiasts who really care about the product. Um, and, you know, and are, and, you know, they're like, they're like wine geeks, you know, and, and I say that lovingly, of course, and you know, that they, they care about the specific product and, you know, but, and those products are all grown and produced and distributed locally or regionally, similar to craft beer. And the, the issue in my mind is that there's not, there won't be much in the middle. Um, you know, right now in beer, you have a handful of sort of nationally distributed independent companies, but there aren't that many. And that's where I kind of see this industry going in the cannabis industry going. And I think a lot of that is driven, you know, I think that that doesn't really happen until legalization, but I think that a lot of that is driven by the effects of interstate commerce and everything that comes with it. Cause you're, cause at that point you're able to, you know, costs of production of flour and, um, you know, and, and, uh, vape, like vape, um, uh, uh, isolate and all that and that you know or as well as uh what goes into edibles and uh and beverages all comes down um and you've got better distribution of products uh across state lines uh, and more efficient you've got lower costs of everything um and you're able to actually create national brands uh because you know because you could then i don't know, have actual real advertising um, and have scale across state lines to develop actual brands, which we also don't have. And so all these things come with interstate commerce and it becomes, you know, and then it becomes much more normalized, like most other industries out there, most other consumer packaged goods industries. And so, um, so that, that, again, that's why I think that all of the, the, the entire industry will look completely different. And so, you know, to go back to your original question, I I think every company needs to think about, all right, well, you know, legalization is not going to happen in 2022, but how am I planning for that, that inevitability? You know, whether it's 24 or 26, where, how am I positioning myself where, it, you know, it, do I want to be that local player where I, you know, I'm. I, you know, we're a regional player where I'm providing a high quality product uh, regionally, but I, you know, but I'm, I may never likely going to have the scale or to, and I don't want to be a national player or do I want to, you know, do, where, how do I not get stuck in the middle uh, where I get sort of pushed out of the market by, by the large companies. Um, but I'm, but I'm not really sort of catering to uh, the, uh, this the, the more sort of um, cannabis uh, enthusiast who is willing to pay more for a very artisanal, high quality product. Yeah, I think um, that's a very interesting illustration and, and just exciting to think about for so many reasons. Um, between federal legalization and even state by state legalization, uh, a lot of it seems like a lot of the work of, of getting a business off the ground is 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 waiting to see what regulations look like and, and casing out the regulatory landscape 
before you even know the facts. Um, I'm thinking of like maybe the Virginia adult use market, for instance, or certainly the, the federal picture. Um, so in an advisory capacity, I guess uh, one thing I wanted to ask was, um, what are some of the common themes or common ideas that you've been sharing with folks over the years for how to uh, deal with that um, th- that variability or that even ambiguity uh, before certain regulations come to pass, if, if that makes sense? Well, I, I think that um, what, what I say is, is everybody needs to think about um, where are they now? What do they want to be when they grow up? Uh, and, you know, and this is, this is true even for the MSOs, um, where do they see themselves positioned and what is that, what is that exit? What is the game plan when things change? You know, so the, the, um, the, the plan for some of the MSOs is that they want to be the biggest and the best to be bought out by, uh, whatever multinational, uh, consumer products company, uh, upon legalization. You know, so that they are, uh, they're the one that's snatched up uh, at a premium because the buyer is going to have a much lower cost of capital. And so, you know, and some of the MSOs just don't want necessarily to, um, they, they, they want to be that target. They don't plan on sort of sticking around and continuing to build the business post legalization. Uh, you've got some of the MSOs that, uh, that do want to do that. And want to continue to um, to to uh, to sort of be the independent uh, but large company that's publicly listed uh, and and competing with uh, you know the company the the companies that that come into this space uh, you know and, and this is not a criticism I think it, you know these are all in my mind sound business strategies I uh, at the same time and so each, for each of them it's sort of thinking through I right, well how do I how do I get to that place? Um, because I know that when legalization occurs, uh, a lot of the big, you know, companies that are out there, which aren't touching, you know, they're not in this space directly, whether it's, you know, alcohol, beverage, tobacco, um, or, you know, food products and things like that, where they, you know, they're, they're staying away from this industry right now because they, they don't want to run the risk of losing their, their existing federal licensing. Um, but are poised, poised and preparing to get ready to come into this industry as soon as they can legally. Um, so, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that the, that the MSOs all each need to be thinking about wh- what is what is how do I compete with that, um, with a company that has, you know, a, a multinational uh, uh, strategy uh, with you know, with a lot of experience with marketing and distribution of product and, and much, much cheaper cost of capital, uh, how do I compete with that? And, and thinking that through, um, or, you know, or is the answer that I, you know, that we're going to be the ones that are just going to be, we're going to sell ourselves as soon as that happens um, and make a nice return for our investors. Um, for, you know, for the small companies, I think it's, you know, this all, all of this is trying to figure out uh, how do I stay capitalized, well capitalized uh, in, um, you know, without no, you know, with in the time period, without really knowing how long that's going to take, 
uh, because as we know, capital is so hard in this industry to get. So it, it's it's hard to think long term in this industry when there are so many problems in the short term. Uh, but I think that there is, I think even at, you know when in this for a smaller company, there can still be thought as to what is what is my special sauce and how do I distinguish myself and and stay relevant in an industry where you know certainly in certain markets which where there's more and more licenses being issued how do i stay uh above the you know noticeable uh in you know for medium medium sized companies that are in you know a handful of states and uh you know but, but and are able to compete in those states but don't really have um the presence the, the sort of footprint of some of the really big companies for them, I, you know, I asked, I would ask the question and, you know, this sounds a little harsh, but, but, you know, what is your, what is your end game? Um, do you think that you have a business strategy and plan and capitalization, capitalization, sorry, to, um, to, to become, you know, to, to become one of the big companies. And is that somewhere you want to be, where you want to be, have a national footprint and, and, grow your grow your base so that you are then competing with them and being one of those companies that's picked up by by a new by a buyer uh, post legalization or are you better off um getting to a point where you you hitch your wagon to somebody else um whether that's another mid-sized company or to one of the big companies you know I don't know that that's that may not necessarily be a good idea right now, especially with valuations in in the tank. Um, but that's you know it's hard to time that. Uh, but I you know my again my view of this space is that um, there's going to be less room for mid-sized companies, and so I, you know I think that they they have the biggest challenge of them all in my mind um, as to as to sort of preparing for the long term. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a, a really great assessment and honestly, just a great list of questions there for, for folks who are listening to, you know, kind of jot down and, and think about between now and the show. And, and certainly we can talk more at that point out in Vegas. Um, but but I, I think it was a really helpful way of framing what can otherwise be kind of a complicated, uh, sometimes fun, sometimes frustrating uh, conversation about legalization. It's just there's there's a lot of variables out there. Um, but Mark, I, I certainly appreciate the time and it was really great to get a chance to talk with you about that topic and, and looking forward to picking up the thread out in Vegas. Thanks. Yeah, no, I, I'm excited for the panel. I think it's going to be a really interesting discussion. Uh, I will be humbled by the, uh, by the policy backgrounds of the panelists. Um, and I'm really interested to hear what they have to say uh, from their, their uh, experience and perspectives. And that's a wrap on another episode of Beyond the Show. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Mark Hauser about federal legalization and all the different and strange ways that it may manifest in the future. It may be a case of inevitability, but who knows? It's pretty hard to say these days, and a lot can happen in a short amount of time, as we all know, in the cannabis space. But we will be picking up that thread and talking more about federal legalization. It'll probably, you know, sort of work its way through just about every session at Cannabis Conference this year. And speaking of the show itself, it's like I said at the top of the episode, it's less than two weeks away. 
If you haven't secured your spot, make sure you do that now. If you're listening right now, we're still offering a discount up until August 19th. So if you're tuning in before then, rush on over to CannabisConference.com. Check out all the information, read up on it, see what you're getting yourself into. We've got three days of fantastic educational sessions, a great expo hall. The accommodations are fantastic. It's the Paris, Las Vegas, after all. Sign up. If we're catching you after the 19th, you know, airfare is kind of crazy, but just go buy yourself a ticket, fly on out to Vegas. We'll, we will be there. You can certainly register on site, too. Other than that, though, we're going to keep the interviews going before the show, at the show, beyond the show, of course. So stay tuned. <laughs>